Ladies, gentlemen, degenerates, cretins, children of all ages, welcome to Real Tales from the Bar Side. We're getting into some fun, wild, wacky, chaotic stories about bar life and the people who work in it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy these tales from the professionals in the bar and restaurant world. Have fun. Tales from the bar side. Welcome back. This is yet another episode of your favorite new podcast. My name is Matt Flynn. Joining me this week, I have a dear friend, Lucas Van Engen. Lucas, what's going on, man? Hey, man. How you doing? Doing well. Good. Doing well. So this is an interesting sort of subplot to bartending, and it's personal to me, and it's personal to Lucas, but I think it's important to, to reference. Uh, I think we touched on this on the initial episode, but I'm in recovery. I've been sober for a little over 17 years, and bartending... In sobriety, it's a strange bird. It's a different kind of lifestyle. There's not a ton of us, but Lucas is one of these endangered species I'm referencing. He's also a sober bartender. So uh, we're here to talk and chat a little bit about that. When did you start bartending? What's your um, first experience? Probably 2005. I was waiting tables at this place called Angus McIndoo. Um, that no longer exists in um, New York in New York on 44th and 8th and uh, started um, training training on bar there and eventually bartended there for a few years and then been bartending ever since okay cool yeah cool and you your story is unique we've known each other for years now yep and four and a half years yeah four and a half specifically yeah you're got... the first person I met in in a sobriety yeah so yeah, it's been a, a wild ride, man, and it's it's been really cool watching you handle this stuff because the bar industry is a bitch. It's just ruthless and yep. thankless at times, and it's uh, even more difficult and exacerbated, I think, when you're in recovery and you can't always just throw back a shot and deal. Yeah. To be honest, I think it's been easier for me since I stopped drinking Explain to bartend. That. Tell me a little bit more about that. So, because I have all these tools that I get from my 12-step program to help me through the night, and I've got people that I text throughout the night Mm -hmm. with whatever I'm going through to deal with it, whereas before, my only solution was to just keep drinking more. Well, I think that's one of the coolest differences between us, and I've always given you a ton of credit for this, is that I got sober, and I was sober six years. I think a year and a half in, I started doing front of house work where I was waiting tables, and it wasn't until I was six years, and I was pissed because you're an actor. I'm an actor, and when you're an actor, especially in a big city, it's a great thing to be able to hustle a bar gig and just make money that way. And I was always super pissed off and resentful that I couldn't bartend because mm. I was sober. That was the, the thought in my head. I can't do this. Fuck. Right. Mm, I wish I could. And then I told my sponsor about it, and he said, you know, why can't you? You've got a good foundation. You've been sober six years. You can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you don't drink. And that changed my perspective. So basically, I didn't have this, I'm drinking today behind the bar. I'm sober tomorrow behind the bar moment. And I've always respected the fact that you had that and were able to adjust the way that you did. Yeah, it was a crazy ride at the beginning. I mean, because where I did most of my drinking was while I was working. 
and I kept it together. Like that's how I got through the night. You know, I wasn't like one of those bottom out drunks that made a fool of myself at work. Like I kept it together, you know, um, I was just drunk every night. Um, and then, and that's how I got through the night. Then I decided it was time to get sober. Um, really what happened was I got a friend hired at my work, probably not accidentally who didn't drink, who was sober. And then eventually asked him how he did it. And then he brought me in. And then I worked side by side with him for my first 90 days. And he basically coached me through the entire 90 days and let me take a cigarette break about every five minutes. Um, never said a damn thing. You know, I, I was I was out there all the time smoking. <laughs> and when I came in, he would just shove a, a seltzer and cranberry in my hand, make sure I had that in my hand while I worked. It's crazy. I have, I get some people that I work with. Obviously, it's a heavy drinking business that have a really hard time. They go in waves. They drink a ton. Something happens. There's consequences, whatever, and they just need to stop. And they know that, so they pull themselves back. But then they're cranky, irritable fuckers, and all of a sudden, oh, yeah. they don't know why. And so I just start making like triple quad sugar batches of lemonade, being like, dude, have some lemonade. <laughs> they don't really understand they don't get it they're just like oh man thanks this is awesome yeah. it's like get that sugar in the your bloodstream yes. you cranky yes. bastard yeah it's helpful and cigarettes too you don't smoke anymore right i don't smoke anymore i finally kicked that one i mean for today i i'm not smoking but it's been um that's been uh, a year and eight months or something that's so. a bitch that's like honest to god that's the hardest thing i've ever quit Harder than alcohol. Yeah. No, I've, I've quit. I, no joke. I started when I was 12, I, and I never really wrapped my arms around it, but I never gave it up either. I couldn't stop. I was a pack-a-day sort of smoker. And it was, it's, been, it's been three and a half, four years now, oh, I think. Oh, good for you. But that's this time around. There's got to be 50 times I tried. And oh, my God. It. My heart goes out to smokers. Anybody trying to quit out there? It's, it's worse than heroin. That's what they say. Yeah. The addiction part of it. But the cool thing is, too, and this goes for recovery, but I think smoking is just, like we said, that much more difficult. We did it. We're not special guys. You can do it, too. It's just real shitty, and it's going to suck to try for a long time. It's like anything else. I think you've got to bottom out with it. Yeah. yeah you've got to be in a lot of pain. And you have to be ready. That's the biggest yeah. thing for me. I quit so many times, and it was just white-knuckling for the longest time, but the last batch out, it was just, I'm ready. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But drinking, I mean, smoke breaks are great. That's a cool little built-in excuse. I got to go outside. Uh, I've been really lucky. I don't work with smokers. I haven't. So I don't have anybody running off on me every so often. We're usually just married behind the bar. For better or for worse, it's just a marriage, and we're stuck like glue on each other for eight to ten hours before they leave, and then I do the dirty work. But drinking just seems like such a such an easy way for people to cope. Again, I feel like an alien because I've never done it behind the bar. It's just mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. you guys just get to bang down shots because that guy's a prick. Right. So I think my go-to is I just yell at the prick. Right. right? I just kind of, I'm in a place where it's not corporate. It's not, I have the freedom to just be like, look, buddy, fuck you. If you don't like this, get out. There I, are other bars around. I'm I have, sure they'd love to have you. I have lost my shit, whether drunk or not drinking, at customers big time. Like, just lost my freaking shit. What's your favorite fuck you, buddy? You told him off and you're going to fly this kind of flag moment that you had with a customer. It, I always feel bad afterwards. So there's that, right? <laughs> yeah, I do too. However, the mo- <laughs> all right. So this, 
it's kind of it, it's going to take a couple minutes because there's some backstory here. But this this guy and this woman came in and they used to work at the bar where I where I was bartending, um, and they got fired years ago, but they still come in, right? Okay. The dude is huge, gets super drunk on the 23rd of December, right before Christmas, and starts fucking with this Jersey kid that just stopped by and keeps won't shut up. And the Jersey kid keeps telling him to shut up until finally the Jersey kid fucking clocks him. And the big dude goes down like it just fell, like a, like a fucking tree. Gets up and comes at him like a zombie, right? With And the kid cracked a glass over his head oh, and broke his skull. Oh, no. So that all happens in like seriously, I don't know, like six seconds, the whole thing, you know. I called the cops. I sat there with the dude that was hurt. The Jersey kid went to jail. It was kind of hilarious because he was supposed to go home with his girlfriend and meet her family that Christmas. <laughs> She's all like crying, obviously. Oh like, can you imagine her Christmas trying to explain like the guy she just met is in jail? Um, <laughs> so I sat with this dude. I tried to comfort his girlfriend slash wife. I don't know what they are. Um, and sent him off in an ambulance, wrote up a report, the whole thing. A year later, that woman comes into the bar, gets rip-roaring drunk to the point where I'm worried she's going to hurt herself, and I cut her off. She got so mad at me for cutting her off that she started yelling at me. She said, I know you told that Jersey kid to kick my husband's ass. It's your fault. And I fucking lost my shit on her i was shaking i don't i blacked out with rage so i don't know what i said to her but i had like three friends at the bar who were just like eating snacks and watching it like it was a good tv show you know (laughs) and um they were like that was awesome holy shit i love that and i'm like shaking i'm like it's all right it's all right then she came back for more and i snapped again and they were all like eating popcorn and I actually did. I ran into her like um, three months later, and I apologized to her. I, I bit the bullet, and was she lucid at that point? Was she? She was lucid, but sober? she still thought it was all my fault. Okay, know, so yeah, whatever. So you justified her horseshit. That's great. Yeah, isn't that so fucked up, man? I do that all the time. I like to think that everybody has stuff in them when they do things like that, and when they act out, that just makes them feel shitty. I'm not sure if it's true. Yeah, I've heard about sociopaths, and I think I've met a few in my travels. And I, I know I have. And it's it's just not true for everybody. But for me, that adrenaline, that shaking, I can relate to that so much. It's my body telling me you're wrong, or maybe this was just too much too soon from zero to 175. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're starting to worry about potential consequences because you went a little too far. Yeah. Whatever the case is, I'm just grateful that I'm sober because I can't imagine being fucked up doing this job. I can't. Right. I just, I have such a low threshold for horse shit from people. I don't know what would end up happening. Yeah. By the way, that was sober. That was not drinking. That, that was, I, well, that one. Yeah. And some of the worst ones for me too, like you're talking about, are things where I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be there for somebody who might've just experienced something shitty and then it goes south and they take it out on me. Yeah. It was, oh shit, man. This was... About six months ago, the guy who got me the job where I'm at, he's one of the owners, he's GM, and uh, busy Friday night, we're all just hanging out, there's people everywhere, and over by the window, I just hear a glass shatter. Ooh. 
And I turn, snap my head, and I just see a guy and a girl struggling. They're going at it. And they'd been eating dinner together. So I fly around the bar, and as I'm running over there, the waitress stops me and says, just so you know, she threw the glass at his head. And I went, okay, this is good information to have as I'm approaching this, because obviously you see a guy and a girl you know, jostling a little bit, and you're going to go after the guy and say, well, cut the shit. I run over there. She's walking in the other direction away from him now, and she's in tears. She's heading to the exit. She looks fine physically, so I just figure we're going to let that go. It's busy. I don't need any other shit. We're just going to let it go. So I go over to the guy, knowing now that he had a glass thrown at his head, and I said, hey, you all right, man? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, can I get anything for you? He's like, nah, man, but I'm paying that bill. I'm not paying that fucking bill, man. I'm like, all right, uh, fortunately... For me, that's above my pay grade. I don't really give a shit what you do. I'm here to clean up the glass. I'm a fucking janitor at this point and make sure that you're okay. He said, yeah, I'm good, but I'm not paying that bill. So I said, I, again, don't give a shit. I'll get the manager for you. So I grab my buddy. He comes over. What's the problem? They're going back and forth till my buddy just says, look, here's the deal. You don't have a bill at all. You don't have to pay for her stuff or your stuff. You're never coming in here again. Have a good night. Mm -hmm. And walked away. You know, he's DJing, too. It's a big-ass party. There's crazy shit going on. This guy has just had his ego stepped on and then heel ground into the fucking cement by being banned from the bar. So he tries to be big time, walks back over to my buddy. I sense it and I start walking over to kind of run interference. And he starts talking all this shit. My buddy just says, have a good night. Have a good night. You're not welcome here anymore. Have a good night. And he gets in my buddy's face and calls him a faggot. You fucking faggot. Oh, Jesus. You know, and it's one of those words that's just, look, I didn't grow up in a super PC place. I can understand when people don't mean something homophobic when they say that, but it's terminology that just shouldn't be uttered anymore, especially with that kind of mal and malicious intent. Yep. So I'm pissed instantly. It's just like, this is my buddy. He got me this job. And I said, dude, come on, get out. Let's go. I walk into the door. We're walking away. And we get into this hallway, and our entryway is just this big, long, empty entryway. And uh, I just, he keeps talking shit. Like, that guy ain't nobody. He ain't nobody. I was like, actually, he's one of the owners, man. So just take off. You got to go. And he goes, man, he ain't nobody. And I go, dude, you ain't nobody. Come on. Your girl just fucking threw a glass at your head. Your ego's bruised. Go home and sleep it off. It's just me being me, truth-telling kind of shit. I probably shouldn't have done it, especially given the stakes. Dude, just turn around and punch me clean in the face. Just oh, bam. Shit. Spun his hip, clocked me. I get the big, you know, Scandinavian head, didn't move. I'm just kind of looking at him like, <laughs> did you just punch me? I swear to God, if anybody catches me with a good first shot, I'm dead. That's the way to beat me in a fight because I never see it coming and I stand there like, my God, you just hit me. But after that moment, then shit gets real. I had gotten into some stuff earlier on and I didn't want to deal with the cops again and like get into a fist fight. So for whatever reason, it seemed like a good idea for me to rip this giant four foot piece of wood trim off the wall and start stabbing him in the chest with it Oh my God. because I just wanted him out. Right. So I'm trying to like, get out, get out. Like it's like a jousting match. And he's like, ah, ah, all right, chill, chill. I'm like, chill. You just punched me in the face. He's like, no, man, chill. And so I'm hitting with it. Somebody <laughs> sees it happen and runs around the corner, and they start trying to, like, grapple with this guy. He's getting outside. My whole logic behind it, twisted or otherwise, is just, well, you know, if they show up, the cops happen to come to the scene, and the dude's face is all messed up, and I look fine, but I say he punched me first. It's going to be a bad on me. It's just going to look bad. But if I jab him with this in the stomach, you know, where his shirt is, I don't, he's not the type of guy that's going to be like, he hit me with that. Look at my wounds. Sound logic. So, yeah, not really. 
But in my head at the time, it's the best I could do because it was a Friday night and I didn't want to spend the entire weekend in central booking. And so you know, all these things are running through your head. You're trying to solve a problem. At the, again, I don't know how people drink and do this job because God knows what would happen if I was shit-faced. So we get him outside. Hopefully it's all over. But he says, I'm coming back with my peace now. Oh, good. Right? Yeah. Obviously, he's referring to a gun, but I had another funny little moment in my head where I started picturing him coming back with his woman that's not his wife or girlfriend, just oh kind of like God. side piece. <laughs> <laughs> it's like making me giggle. But then I, I realized, you know what? If he comes back with a gun now, this is going to be real shitty. So now I have to call the cops. I said, congratulations, asshole. Now I have to call the cops, right. dude. You're threatening me with a gun. Come on. Yep. So I call the cops. They show up. The moment you say weapon, and I think Anthony, uh, when we had him on here, he was talking about this too. You call the cops and just say somebody's being a dick. They'll be there in a month and a half. Yep. You call the cops and you say someone has a gun or says that they have a knife or anything. 30 seconds, you've got a dozen cops there. They're great uh, when there's a weapon yeah, response. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he came back. The cops showed up. 15 people all converge on this guy, start talking to us. What's going on? Owner comes out, and I just said, you want to press charges? And I said, owner said, no, we're good. He took off, and that was that. But it's just mm -hmm. like I was trying to do the right thing. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to talk to this guy and just say, hey, man, like, I'm sorry you had a shitty night, but you can't run around calling people faggots and doing dumb shit. It's just, but what are you doing? When you try and be rational with a drunk. That's the thing. You're in a situation where you're with a bunch of irrational drunks trying to be rational. Right. That's the whole job. And the whole point of this, too, is that I'm an irrational drunk. I just happen to be sober. <laughs> right. So like in, in the mix of this, this isn't finger pointing like, well, now I'm sober and you're all irrational. Totally. No, I'm the fucking leader of the irrational drunks. Right. And I'm also responsible for them. And I do take that responsibility seriously. Yeah. So especially with women, there's a lot of single women that come hang out in this bar. Mm. It's on the Upper East Side, and it's just a neighborhood with a lot of single women that come in by themselves or in groups, and it's just a responsibility that I take seriously. And when people have too much, I think it's important to cut them off, whether they're happy about it or not. Yeah, yeah. You ever get the handshakes? Like I get so once in a while, I'll get pleasantly surprised. I cut somebody off, and they just kind of smile. And look at me. Oh, yeah. And then they yeah. shake Most my hand. Most of the time, like, cutting somebody off goes well. And as far as handling tricky situations, my proudest moments are when um, I'm able to usher them out with absolutely no conflict where a conflict was, like, about to happen. Mm -hmm. And that I learned from two restaurant owners. One was Angus McIndoe. Angus McIndoe, he was just, like, the king of it. Like, you would have just the craziest shit going down and he's got this Scottish accent. I can't do a Scottish accent, so I'm not <laughs> going to try to imitate him. And he would just get in there and start talking to them and ask them about their family and where are they from and this and that and the other thing. And the next thing they're out the door and nobody knows how any of it happened and there's no conflict anymore. So I learned from him. I learned from, uh, the owner of uh, that used to be Chelsea Grill, who would just kind of put his arm around the dude and start talking to him and sort of gently guide him out the door. Um, again, completely avoiding fights. Not that that owner <clears throat> always did. He's famous for literally kicking, literally kicking people out the front door. <laughs> but, but I think in his old age, he started to use his head more. Um, the right time to start doing that. Yeah, yeah. So... My prouder moments are when I when I when I've handled it that way, but um, 
but the high road's not an easy road. That's the thing with me. I again, I'm with you 110. percent When I handle it like that, I feel so much better. But it's difficult because it is an insane world that we're working in, and yeah. and we're people that have these problems with alcohol that can relate to the clientele. But we don't have, in a lot of ways, people don't realize this. And in recovery, I've learned that alcoholism is a disease that alcohol is the cure to mm-hmm. in the moment. It's not the problem. It's the cure. Right. The problem is the cure will, cure will kill you. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. We don't have the alcohol anymore to deal with this. So if I'm not doing what I need to do, going to meetings on a fairly regular basis and connecting with people like you, my head's not right. And I can be just as wonky and off as somebody that's had seven Tito's sodas. So having the responsibility that I have, I have to make sure that I'm doing the right thing for myself to be able to handle it. Otherwise, I can be in trouble. Yeah. So how do you deal with um, my struggle recently? No, my struggle as long as I've been waiting tables and bartending, uh, being an actor also, Mm -hmm. is... um, that I'm not doing what I want to be doing with my life for 10 hours a night. And the, the hardest times actually are when it's slow mm. and the mental damage I do to myself in that time. And I just started to, after our week, cause we talked about this a few days ago, just you and me personally. And then since then I've started to have some like breakthroughs on that for myself, but I'm curious how that's going for you. I've been really fortunate because I understand that struggle completely. Um, I, for my schedule is Thursday through Sunday nights, and it's consistent. It's been that way, so I can always just convince myself it's a weekend job. Mm-hmm. It's a weekend job. I do upside-down hours for 45 to 50 hours a week at, but it's a weekend job in my head. That's where I keep it, and I have to compartmentalize and just say, oh, it's, it's how I keep the lights on because it is. It's a killer I'm a sensitive guy, man. Actors usually are. And it's just one of those things where if I acknowledge fully that I am not doing what I love full time to make my money, it's too much. You know, I'm in the Batcave, shades are pulled, and that's it. I'm probably not doing too much for myself career wise. So it's really important to me to just make sure that I understand what this is. And, I, you know, I've had shitty drunk people try and rub it in my face like, oh, yeah, you're an actor. <laughs> what are you doing right now? You're bartending. You're a bartender. It's okay. Yeah. Listen, I just try and keep my cool head, not get oversensitive and say, I didn't say I was a movie star. I said I've I was had, an actor. I've had multiple people ask me if I'm in a Broadway show. And they ask me this question around 8 o'clock p.m. And more often than not, I bet, knowing the answer and just wanting to be a dick about it. There's something totally. about our profession where people just, they either really want you to succeed or they really want you to fail. They just don't want you to do well, and they yeah. want to kind of smirk about it because yeah. I don't know why, but it's so bizarre. You don't see that with any other career, mm-hmm. even musicians, and I think they have a harder road than we do. I just think the opportunity is just so difficult for them, especially to make careers where it's sole money-making from music, but they don't get that kind of hate. People get interested, and they're like, really, what do you play? How long have you played it for? Well, that's amazing. Do you have any shows coming up? There's a real interest, I feel like, with musicians. But with us, it's kind of like... The actor market is just so saturated. And anyone in on either coast knows that. So 
I feel like that 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 brings with it a certain stigma. People who are coming out here from the Midwest are like, literally, they'll be like, "Wait, you're an actor? That's so neat." Yeah. And then they'll say, "Are." Are a lot of waiters actors? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you've never been to New York. It's that old Woody Allen joke. Oh, your son's a waiter? Oh, I, <laughs> I fucked that up already. Damn. Oh, your son's an actor? At what what restaurant? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, fuck. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's really tough to, um, you know what, fuck it. Let's take a break. Cool. All right, so we'll be back after these words. Fellas, I want to talk to you about the most innovative barber shop on the South Shore of Massachusetts, Craft Barbering Company, started by Eric Tenberg, who will be on this podcast if I have to drag him here myself from Massachusetts, and Jeff Barrows, two good friends of mine. And they just did something really simplistic but innovative. It's a great barber shop, 243 Church Street in Pembroke, right on the Marshfield line. Go to craftbarbers.com and you just schedule an appointment. You can pick who you want cutting your hair, who you want shaving your face. You can pick a time, their availability is all there. They just shoot you an email just to remind you real quick. It's great. It's just a phenomenal, simplistic company, Craft Barbering Company, and they're phenomenal. They're just a really, really great business model. And it's unlike anything else going on the South Shore. So check them out. Get your hair cut. Get your face shaved. Get everything together. Look good. Craft Barbering Company. CraftBarbers.com And hey, listen, while you're there, swing next door. Get yourself a uh, mushroom and hamburg pizza at Poopsies with burnt edges. Burnt edges, trust me. It's amazing. Julian salad, a nice cheeseburger. Poopsies pizza next to Craft Barbering Company. 243 Church Street. Pembroke, Mass. Cool, and we're back. So I want to stick with the topic we were talking about a little bit. I don't feel like we were finished with uh, the whole idea that it's really painful to bartend for an actor. I mean, we're in recovery, and we have that benefit slash cross the bear, I suppose, with this industry, but... The actor side of things, it's, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough. I'm yeah. really grateful for the job I have because it's a big bar. I mean, it's like a two-door tavern. It's 23 seats at the bar, I think. And then you've got service nice. for a restaurant that has a bunch of tables. And it's a neighborhood joint. Been around a long time, so we have established regs. And at the, uh, during the off-season, which is basically kind of Memorial Day to Labor Day, we still get enough people in. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not dying. You know, I usually take a month off sporadically throughout the summer here and there. Um, but so I'm not, I don't feel terrible financially. It's really nice to not have that panic. I'm fortunate mm-hmm. to have the, the relationship that I do with the management and ownership there. They've been really good to me. Can I tell you something interesting I did with the financials? Yeah. Regarding exactly what you just said. So I was, this is part of my whole process regarding the question I asked you. So I was at um i don't mind mentioning chelsea grill for five years and i was doing pretty well you know really mm-hmm. well and um and working exactly the hours you you you're talking about um and then i got it down to three days a week um where like 10 hours a night 12 hours a night you know and doing really well when that bar closed my acting had just started to take off somewhat and it looked like it was starting to snowball 
So I, just in terms of like putting the energy out there in the universe, I took, oh, I, I committed to taking 30 days off of bartending to see if my acting would replace it. And um, there was one guy in the neighborhood that was starting a new bar. Mm. And I really like him. And I, I said, if, if, if that guy asked me to bartend for him, I'll probably say yes. Day 25, he called me up and asked me to bartend for him. And I, by that point, I was going kind of crazy because nothing was happening with acting. And obviously, I wasn't bringing in money from the bar. And I was doing my own stuff, but I was kind of going crazy, so I took the job. In that 25 days, what I noticed was without the pressure of um, and the structure of uh, a survival job, I actually started doing less for my acting career. Yeah, I had more time, and I was doing less and going cr and going crazy and watching, you know, Netflix, HBO, and, and and all the energy was going down. And I noticed that when I have a whole bunch of responsibilities, I get more done. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I'm so much better when I'm busy. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I I did a thing um, where I I was doing stand-in work for television shows and movies when I first moved to New York. And again, that's a different kind of pain mm. because you're doing the job of somebody, or you're standing next to somebody who's doing the job that you're trained to do and that more than anything you want to be doing. So it's an amazing experience just to get some, okay, now I'm in front of a camera on an actual film set every day for this amount of time. It's a cool thing, I think, for you know, six months or so to get your feet wet out of school on a film set and just to see how things actually run. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but I was doing it for too long and it became what I did to make money before I started bartending again. Mm -hmm. And that was a different type of pain, but I cut it. I cut the cord and just said, I am not doing this anymore. And I stopped. Yeah. And I was on unemployment. I had modeling jobs here and there for a while. Um, but I felt that depression. It was that, my God, I have all this time now to do finally all these things and, and to focus and go get new headshots and submit to these people and audition for this. And whatever projects you had on the back burner everything. that you've been waiting to do. Yeah, yeah. the stuff I'm going to self finance. And it didn't really happen. Yeah. It was just a lot of depression, a lot of second guessing, too much free time. It's not. It's cool. crazy how that happened. I yeah. love that saying how my mind's a dangerous neighborhood. I have no business being in there alone. Totally. And when I don't have the structure of a survival job, I kind of spend a lot of time up there. Yeah. It's, it's not a good thing for me either. So it's cool to hear you say that. And that, honestly, that's a big reason why I wanted to start doing this podcast is this is therapeutic for me. Mm -hmm. Like talking to you about this, it's even better because you're in recovery. So talking to you this week's just adding to it mm -hmm. gonna bring me into the bar with just a fresh set of eyes and it's just uh, it's not a bitch session it's more of an identification this is kind of how we survive and this is the deal with our industry in this city yeah so um there's a saying in recovery and acceptance is the answer to all my problems and i try to take that into the bar mm -hmm. with me you know and then lately um my journey with the bartending work is Again, it's, it's hardest when it's slow because I just have too much. I'm not earning, so I, I'm in financial fear, and then I'm thinking about all the things I'm not doing for my acting career and forgetting to be grateful. I also want to mention, it's, it's freaking hard to get a good bartending job in New York. So, like, you know, because I want to be an actor, I often, like, 
shit on the fact that I'm a successful bartender. Mm -hmm. That I'm in a coveted position, actually. And on top of that, I firmly believe it's an accomplishment to be homeless in New York City and survive 12 months. I mean, I don't know just how be in that. this That's... city at all. Yeah. Whether you're living in a penthouse, you're on the street, whatever it is, like, it, this is a survival city. So to be able to do that, it is a success. It is an accomplishment. Yeah. And it might not be what we set out to do, but we're still doing what we set out to do. We're working actors. We're not working nearly as much as we want to be, yeah. but we're doing what we love. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, you're right. I think we're both very fortunate, and I'm grateful, too, to have the, the jobs that we do to be able to sustain that. And again, the biggest thing, we talked about it earlier this week, is structure for me. It's just, you mentioned it, and it's just huge to be yeah. able to say, I have this place to go to do something where I'm valued. It just helps me. It just helps my mental state a ton. Yeah. And I just remember, I wanted to tell you part of my journey with that was, so when I was at Angus McIndoo bartending, um, had a really tight crew of friends there. Um, I still consider them my friends today, although we've kind of gone, I've gone a separate way and they're still doing um, them and I see them when I see them, but great people. We, um, we all hung out together. And what would happen was I would, uh, I'd be working all night drinking during my shift and then go out drinking afterwards. And I've noticed like, throughout New York, that's the trend. That's like the pattern that um, bartenders, waiters fall into. Mm -hmm. And then we end up spending all the money we earned that night yeah. on the next bar. And it's this kind of rotating cash pile um, that you just pass around. And because you're tipping bartenders and you're a bartender, you're throwing down 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. So anyway, so that, so I would do that for and not, I actually, I love to drink alone, so I wouldn't do that that much, but I would get into this pattern where I would do that for three months, realize I hadn't done shit for my acting, and go, oh, I gotta, I gotta rein it in. So then for a month or two, I'd be a workaholic on my acting, and then I'd go back to the going out at night, drinking and stuff like that. Um, through the years, well, then I got sober, and that pattern obviously ended, and I had to figure out how to do it. Now, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> Jump in if you want, and I'll get back to it. No, I, I see that happen constantly, where I'm just serving bartenders. And it's funky. I don't know if you've had this experience. You mentioned just these, uh, these program slogans that kind of help you get through the night a lot yeah. of times, or these just things in your head. For me, I'll grasp at anything. I'm not the guy that's just constantly talking program stuff. I, I get emails, inspirational emails. I do this thing I found called the 10 scroll somebody sent to me that McConaughey yep. did and just wouldn't stop talking about. Whatever. It doesn't fucking matter to me. I'm not going to push it on anybody else, but I'm going to run to the bathroom, take a shit, and read it on my phone and just pray my ass off that something helps me from snapping on somebody if I need it in that particular moment. I'm so glad you said it because like a lot of stuff that I pull from is not program stuff. And I almost, because I'm in program, I feel like I, I can only talk program to program yeah. people. And, and then when I bring up something outside of there, I get a kind of eye roll like, well, it's not, you know, this 12 step program. Oh, and it pisses people off too at the bar, especially because I don't do it. It's just not, I'm, I've always been a, Firm believer in it's a program of attraction, not promotion. Absolutely. Love that. Couldn't agree more. It's how I came in. 
It's because nobody pushed me. It's because I was drawn to it and I knew I was in a shitload of trouble. So I really believe in that. And I think people that come in that have some experience and everybody does in one form of another with 12 step recovery, whether it's for themselves or a family member, whatever it is, they come in and when they find out that I'm sober, and it's not something I broadcast, but it can come up in conversation usually when somebody wants me to bang down a shot with them. And I'm straight, straightforward. They just say, yeah, man, as long as you don't mind me doing water and cranberry or I'll just pour it. And then they'll say, what the fuck is that? I'll say, That's, it's my shot. So people will find out what I'm shooting when it's cranberries and waters kind of thing. And you get an eyebrow raise and people start going into, oh, why don't you drink and what's what? And a lot of times people get really weary of people in recovery at a bar because they've had some experience with it and it's, uh, it's difficult for them. Sometimes it's their experience. Sometimes it's a family member's. It's somebody that just talks program and goes straight all the time. You know, they're dealing with people that used to be drinkers all the time and maybe were absentee. And now they're dealing with, oh, yeah, program this, program that. So, yeah, a lot of times people find out that I'm not drinking and they get a little weary. Nobody likes to come into a bar where they're trying to relax and have a good time and find out the bartender's in recovery more often than not. It's great for ownership, I think, because you've got a trusted guy that can do the money, that's not getting shit-faced, they're not stealing. I think it's a real good thing totally. for ownership. But you have to win the customers over when they find out. And I think a big part of how I'm able to do that is because just as a person, I'm not trying to get the world sober. I don't speak in program jargon. I just kind of live my life totally. and take what I need to keep myself sober. Yeah, and ironically, you got to make them feel comfortable drinking. Yeah. And if the, a big part of why I'm successful where I am is because I want to make people comfortable that I want there. And I kind of want to make people uncomfortable that I don't want there. And it's not like a popularity, oh, you're not cool sort of thing. It's like you're a fucking liability. Oh, like, totally. You're somebody who is just unsettling or doing things that are making people uncomfortable. So now my job is to try and make you uncomfortable and get you to not feel like you should come back. And in some cases to just be really forthright and say, listen, man, you got to go. Yeah. So I find more often than not, people are pretty cool once they get my deal, once they understand where I'm coming from, what I'm doing at the bar, why I'm there when I don't drink, that I do treat, treat this like a business and it's a job for me when I'm not acting, which is a lot, right? I'm not acting a lot. Right. I'm going on auditions and interviews a fair amount. I'm fortunate to do that, but the bookings come when they come. Yeah. And in the meantime... This is what I do. I like what I do. Mm -hmm. I enjoy spending time with these people. I don't mind being up all night. I'm a creature of the night by nature. Well, you're in a good place then. So part of the reason I started talking about how I spent my time early on when I was drinking and stuff is I, I remember where I was going with it. Part of what the, the stuff I've been listening to um, and reading outside of recovery is um, stuff about manifestation, Abraham Hicks, about thoughts create reality, um, and I create my own experience, you know? And so to that, I'm going, I'm in a really bad headspace when I'm standing behind a bar with very few customers, um, hating my life, trying to create what I want. Um, so part of what I did was I limited the number of shifts I could work with faith that the acting would fill it in. Okay. The really wild thing is I've 
I've made more money acting since I've done that than I ever have in my life. Um, so I told the guy that asked me after 25 days, I told him I can work two shifts being in total fear about it. Like that's Mm -hmm. not enough to make my bills. And at the same time, holding faith that acting work is going to come in. And I'm literally made half my income this year from acting. That's amazing. Yeah. People don't really understand. I don't think what an accomplishment that is. Thank you. So, um, to put it in perspective, I, I made my SAG insurance for two years in a row, which is really hard to do. You have to, uh, uh, yeah, but you have to make a certain amount to do that. So not a lot of people are doing that. I'm really proud of it. So now I'm doing three shifts, um, uh, instead of two and still it's like just enough to make me really <laughs> uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> but so so my recent breakthrough on this is that, you know, I'm trying to manifest stuff. I'm trying to create stuff. I'm um, not just physically, but also just w- what I'm putting out in the universe. Um, and my recent breakthrough is that I'm spending a lot of time hating, hating what I'm doing and not being grateful. And the, the most recent thing I heard on that was, and it crosses over with recovery, is you can't create something positive if you're hating where you are right now. If you're hating your current reality, it's really tough to create something positive. Completely accurate. I totally I believe the exact same thing. And that's why I brought up the thing about the acceptance, because I'm always looking for crossover with, with mm-hmm. my recovery, you know, to make sure that I'm on, on the beam, so to speak, in line with, with my recovery. And the crossover is acceptance. But I actually like this way of thinking about it for me more. It's beyond acceptance. Actually, it's actually enjoying my current reality, you know, and from that place, creating something new now i'm not there now i'm getting excited talking about it but i'm trying to make that it's such a strange fine line for me too between gratitude and comfort like i don't want to be too grateful good call yeah for my bar job and all of these things because then it just becomes comfortable all of a sudden it's like okay okay, well see i'm gonna cut in i'm gonna jump in because this is where i made my error that's been 12 years of bartending and waiting tables for me. I'm like, don't like it too much. You'll get stuck there. Yeah. I think I had it backwards. Fucking enjoy the shit out of what I'm doing and create what I'm doing, what else I'm doing when I'm not there. And the people like you have this, and I think you have it naturally. The people I like being around love what they're doing when they're doing it. Absolutely, man. And the people I want to create with love what they're doing. I'm not judging a bartender for bartending because he likes bartending. In fact, if he loves bartending and he's an actor and he's creating stuff, that energy is going to attract me. But if I'm with Lucas and Lucas is like hating his fucking life and serving me drinks and saying, yeah, you want to see what I'm doing uh, when I'm not here? I'm like, yeah, okay. You don't look that fun to hang out with, but um, I suppose I could come over and watch your video, freak. Okay, that's how I talk to myself sometimes. It's really healthy. (laughs) But you're right. It is. You want to be around the people that are enjoying what they do. And that's just the... The Massachusetts self-effacing, uh, just completely deep down kind of insecure, oh God, cynic that I can become sometimes. It is. We have these different facets, these different faces. 
I think as humans, but for us especially, everybody in our age bracket that's in their 30s somewhere, they're dealing with shit. And a lot of people I know, you, you can just go on social media and you can find that the people that are dealing with shit more often, it falls somewhere in the lines of career, spousal partnership, and family rearing. So you've got kids, you've got like these people have shit to juggle mm -hmm. and they can relate to one another. You and I have very different lifestyles. It's, we've got recovery. We have these bar jobs that we bust our asses at and trying to make money. Then we have the dreams that we're chasing that aren't dreams anymore. They're realities now, but they're not exactly what we want them to be. So it, it, it's a, the same that I think our peer group goes through. And a lot of times it's hard for me to keep that in focus because all of a sudden I'm worried, oh shit, man, I'm, I'm missing out. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. Oh man, and I can get a little panicked about that too. But I think it's just really important to, to remind myself that I have the same sort of life struggles and issues that these people have and the same rewards and gifts. It's just a different path that I've chosen for myself. Yeah. And, and the grass is always greener. I mean, I, my, my, all three of my brothers are married with beautiful kids. They're all successful in the careers they've chosen. You know, and I, and that can become part of the tension for me. And I'm just a bartender, you know, right. yeah. um, and then I'm bartending there and I'm, I'm finding a date is not difficult in my position. And I've got guys with wives and beautiful families who are sitting at my bar, who have become my good friends, who are looking at me with envy because of my life. And I have to remember that, like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. I chose all this. I con consciously and subconsciously created exactly where I am because I don't want to be behind a desk because I'm not ready to have a wife and kids Yeah. because I want to follow my dreams and do exactly what I'm doing tonight. Isn't it fucked up to, to think about that though? We spend so much time just pissed or bummed or whatever the emotion is that's negative because we're quote unquote not where we want to be. And yet we have these amazing lives with such fantastic freedom. And of course, it does come at a cost that we don't know the joys of parenting or have a spouse that we're madly in love with at the current moment. But we do. I forget. I forget sometimes until I have these conversations. Fuck me. I am fortunate. And I'm Absolutely. happy. It's it, what we want. I have that thought all the time. Like, oh, I got to do. I mean, I've told you that. And then I'm like, wait a minute. This is exactly what I want. I, I'm smart enough to go get a nine to five job. Exactly. <laughs> I'm smart enough, not just to go get a nine to five job, but to really fucking succeed there and become the leader at whatever company I started temping at. Yeah. I just know I am. Mm -hmm. It's not what I want. No, no. But it's hard to remember that. <laughs> it is. And, and I'm really fortunate too. I have the freedom creatively to do different shit, whether it's to throw happy hour ideas out, or I started years ago, movie night, movie night on Sundays, pop a ton of popcorn, and after the football game, come on in, we throw a movie on, turn so the lights cool, down, man. everybody chills, it's just a decompression, not many people show up, but we get a consistently fun, low-key crowd of people that are just, huh, this is kind of cool, and it's just nice to have these creative outlets, even in the bar. Even in the place where it's just kind of like most people come in and they make their money and they go home. And it's like, no, I want to leave my stamp on this. I'm a creative person. That's cool, yeah. And I want to bring a little bit of myself to this, something different. I, enjoy I did that. that at Chelsea Grill. We had a karaoke night there. And cool. um, 
actually, you know, I can't take credit for my boss told me to bring it in and I hated him for it in that moment. I'm like, I don't want to fucking do karaoke. This sucks. You know, I want to bring it. Why do I have to bring it in? You're not paying me to bring it in, blah, 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 all this stuff. You know, I got it in there and we created the coolest night. I mean, it was just every night I learned a new song. So by the end of it, I had like 30 songs that I would, that were my go-to songs. I did duets with the, the, with the KJ, you know, who's Mm -hmm. a good friend of mine now. And we just created, and because we were in the theater district, we had Broadway people come in there every night, singing their faces off. So you get that mix, you get all the industry guys that are just done bartending that came over and sang also, and they're all actors too, so they're all singing their faces off. I mean, we had like a five-star singing night, and then every once in a while, you get somebody from the Midwest who just happens by, and they look at me, and they're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, you get a free show, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was really cool. So that was was my stamp, just like what you're talking about, like being a creative person and a bartender, you know. You have to know where you're at too if i did that on the upper east side i I, my eardrums would pop you know there are some talented singers i'm sure up there but by and large you want to keep the karaoke nights to the theater (laughs) district you want to create exactly what you did where you did it so knowing where you're at knowing who the people around you are it's it's important we had uh, the cast of on your feet in there for about that must have been awesome for about a full two months were they doing Estefan stuff? They were singing, but most of what was cool was they were dancing, and they were dancing their asses off. Oh, man. And it was just so entertaining. It was wild. It was really cool. Yeah. We had a band in last night. First time, a full like drum kit, keyboard set up. They played Van Halen Jump, and it took me a few minutes to realize whether or not we were actually just pumping in the actual song oh my God. through the sound system. Yeah. Because the keyboard, the, the way it starts up, it just sounded flawless. Yeah. And, you know, we don't do that kind of shit often. This was a guy's 50th birthday. He plays in a band. They came in. They rocked it. Kicked ass. We had a great time. And it's just nice to do different shit like that once in a while to keep things fresh. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So what's the biggest difference between where you're at now? Where are you now? What's the name of the place? So I'm at Brazen Tavern. It's on Brazen. 44th and 8th. Brazen, um, Brazen to Chelsea the, Grill. The what's Brazen the, Tavern. So what are the differences? The Brazen ta- they're very similar, actually. They're both okay. neighborhood bars. Brazen Tavern's a lot bigger. Um, for people in the neighborhood, it's where the Irish Rogue used to be, and then Quinn's for a few years. So where I am now, I'm just, I, I really sync with the owners um, and it makes all the difference. Um, so I'm really comfortable there. Um, love my bosses. Um, they give me a lot of freedom. Um, the other place did too. I mean, in fact, the other place I was basically the bartender and manager from 11 p.m. till close. Yeah. So I did everything and bar back and everything. You know? <laughs> That's kind of my world. Right. Yeah. Here, I'm paying bar backs. I'm not making as much. And that's what I set up for myself, mm-hmm. like I told you. And, um, and it's a lot easier. And um, like I love all the people I work with. And that just makes a huge difference, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, very similar. Neighborhood bar, it's a great place. Come visit us. It's really cool. The only reason I talked about being slow is I'm on the second floor. So I kind of take overflow, my own friends, and p- private parties. So cool yeah yeah yeah. but the second floor is also gorgeous if you ever want to come visit me any place in manhattan that's got multiple floors is usually pretty badass if you've got a private space there's a couple on the upper east too where it's like oh a second floor 
wow, <laughs> <You go> upstairs <laughs> and it's just completely uncharted territory. Totally, and I've got yeah. like college football Saturdays. I was worried about working because I'm I'm religious about college football, mm-hmm. um, about watching it. And uh, I've got like ten screens up there, so I put all my games on, including Notre Dame. I put Notre Dame on with sound until I get customers, and I basically I'm in college football heaven. And it's never that busy. So I'm watching all my games. And if I'm fortunate, I have two or three people who are also into it. You're, oh, man. I'm laughing over here. And you know why. Because you're in college football having Saturdays. I'm in college football hell. Oh, my God. It's just people screaming when families are trying to eat dinner. There's like three guys at the bar going, Penn State! Rah! Just, you know, <laughs> slamming their hand on the bar for Michigan. Whatever it is. I don't give a college shit. College football I, I fans go- are the worst. They're the worst. No, they're not. Any they sports are. fan is the worst if you're not a sports fan. Okay, and good I'm point. I'm not a college sports fan. Hockey, same thing. I'm like, you want to watch hockey? No, hockey fans are the worst. Sorry. Hockey they, fans are hands they're down outrageous. the worst. They're fun. <laughs> I get a kick out of them. But it, it, it's just, again, it is that sort of, uh, if I don't love it, why do I want to listen to you scream about it kind of mentality. Totally, and totally. the NBA is my sport, so I'll be the one being an asshole and going obnoxiously ape shit at 7.30 at night on a Tuesday for yeah. the NBA regular season when it starts. Yet I judge the college people and the hockey fans. Like, yeah. you want to watch a regular season game? But no, yeah. I, I'm the other guy. I'm the yeah. guy on the NBA side of things. But, yeah, Saturdays can be tough. Yep. They can totally be tough. This is great, man. I'm just, I'm grateful we had the opportunity to come in here and just talk and get comfortable with where we're at. Yeah, man. Just sobriety-wise as bartenders. It's really great. Uh, I do, I want to reference, you know, it's important to note that, yeah, there are going to be a lot of actors on the show. A lot of New York bartenders are actors. It's the way it is. You're one of my dear friends whose work I really, really respect. I'm really happy for your success. And, uh, you just shared something with me that I loved that you created on your own. A character called Graham Minerly, and it's the diary, Diaries of a Player. Absolutely. That, oh, my God. Listen, if you YouTube, you can just search Graham Minerly. Well, it won't come up yet. It won't, Because okay. it's unlisted until I complete the season. I'm happy for people to, um, to watch it now, but I'm going to release it all um, when, I'm, when I'm completely done. Well, this might not air until then, so if you're listening... Just type in Graham Minerly, The Diaries of a Player, and see if it pops up. Oh, good call, This shit is hysterical. There's 45-second to a minute videos. There's going to be 10 of them, and it's just hysterical. We won't even give away any other plot lines. It's just they're quick hits, and they're tear-jerkingly funny, man. Great job. Thanks for that, man. Yeah, hell yeah, and thanks for coming in. Yeah, I want to leave you with two bartending stories because that's what we're doing. Do it, man. Um, So at one bar I was at, or I just started... Um, this guy started, um, raising hell. It was the end of the night. And he was just, first he started harassing a couple girls. And then he started playing the victim, saying that everybody hated him. And then he started yelling, you know. And the other, I had just started working at this place. And the other bartenders kind of, we're trying to, you know, come on, man, get out, get out. And I was dealing with him too. And, and I, I'm pretty good at this stuff. So I'm handling it pretty calm, but he's just getting more and more aggravated. The more calm we are and he won't fucking leave. And I'm like, I had just started here. I'm like, I don't want to fight. I'm like, like second night. I don't want to do this. Next thing I know, 
the two other bartenders and the manager have him surrounded and are have him at the door by his coat and can't get him out the door. And I was just like, oh, fuck, here we go. And that rage, it was like on the call. The it just it just kicked in the adrenaline. I'm like, here we go. And they told me what I did. <laughs> like I ran up behind him and I just go, get the fuck out, you motherfucker. Get the fuck out, you motherfucker. Grabbed him by the coat. And collectively, we threw him into the air, out the door, into a, a, a pile of trash in front of the... Like Jazz and Fresh Prince? Like, literally, like, out of a movie. We, That's awesome. Like, we threw him out of the <laughs> bar. <laughs> that adrenaline, it's funny. You're talking about that, and I can relate so well to it. It just reminds me when I was a kid, my favorite fucking wrestler was the Ultimate Warrior. And I don't know anybody that remembers the Ultimate Warrior. You just shake the ropes, and guys would just be hitting him from behind, getting scared, like always getting amped up. And the ropes would shake even faster and faster. And the more you hit him, he just got more and more amped up. And it's just the same thing with that adrenaline rush. It just builds like yeah. that. It goes so berserk that yeah. you're just like, fuck, what do I do with this? Yeah. And a lot of times it's dangerous to do anything with it except go to the bathroom and read some shit on your phone about spirituality <laughs> and kind of calm down. Yeah. Um, and uh, one more I'll get, leave you with. I was, uh, I had this crew from uh, Bubba Gumps that used to come in to my place every night at 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And I'm we got sorry. to be really good friends. No, oh, they, no, they were good ones. Good well, Bubba Gumps? they were great people, yeah. They, wow. These waiters, these waiters. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. Not, the, not people that hung out at Bubba Gumps. Um, that would be, That yeah. would be awful. No, these that. are the waiters. They were a good crew of people, and they, um, and uh, so they would come in every night. We got to be friends, and uh, this one night I had this crew of Norwegians, like literally from Norwegia. <laughs> Norwegia. This podcast is brought to you by Norwegia. Norwegia Airlines. Where the fuck are Norwegians from? Norway. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, I'm man. just going to leave it there. <laughs> and that's my story. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, um, anyway, it's, the story is not as good as it what just happened. It will pale in comparison to your total mind fuck on where Norwegians come from. I just want to talk a little about resentment. Oh, sure. So again, yeah, I mean, through the course of this stuff, this podcast, I'll try and remember that... When, when I use words, they may carry different weight for different people. So anything buzzy, I'll try and just break down what I'm talking about right when on. I say it. Yeah. Uh, I had a resentment, and it's funny that I say had because I'm full of shit. It's still raging with staff member that I just felt like she's been there 30 seconds, literally. She just started working there. And because she doesn't feel like she's making enough, this you know girl who's got no connection to the neighborhood, doesn't bring anyone in, has a Brooklyn look. Everybody kind of side-eyes, but I get it. Benefit of the doubt, new people always get side-eyed. Uh, she called my integrity into question. Just because she wasn't making enough money, she made an assumption that, you know, I must be taking too much. Oh, my God. And it's like, dude, I'm scrubbing floors till 5.30 in the morning. Everything's totally on record. Talk to the manager. It's all on paper. What the fuck? And it just... It's hard to be a grown-up in those situations yeah. with people. Because this industry, for staff, too, attracts crazy. 
For sure. And I'm in that boat. I'm just, a, a, I like to think a rational, logical crazy. My crazy comes out in different ways, but a lot of people aren't. It's, it's just. Fun. It's, I'm glad you said it. A lot of the resentments that I've had have to do with staff members. Definitely. Yeah. The Uptown Lounge, man. There's some crazy wild staff members there that I just bumped heads with and I didn't yeah. I didn't initiate it I didn't instigate any of it I right. probably played a part in it once they decided they didn't like me there are things I could have done differently to yeah. not exacerbate it my part is I like things done a certain way and I do it better than you so get on board or get out of my way and I think that's a bartender mentality <laughs> on a whole it really is because we're fucking fickle weird OCD bizarre creatures yeah just by nature we have to be things go in a certain place when we get busy and we do I want to turn around and know that things are where I keep them. And exactly. if they're not, what the fuck? It's time to start screaming and trying to point fingers at yep. who did the. And it's so funny because in, in life, just as a mature man compared to what I once was as a younger man or a boy, I don't really assign blame. I'm not a big kind of like blame person. Let's find out whose fault this is. In the heat of battle behind the bar, if something's not where I left it, something as meaningless as a fucking bottle of Campari that's yeah. just two feet from where it normally is, I need to find out who that is and shame them. Yep. That's my the, goal. The waiters at Chelsea Grill used to move shit around just to watch me lose my shit. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's fucking awesome. I respect that. Exactly. I, I, so I have this weird setup, again, the OCD crazy shit, where I'll have a, a nice water with lemon or soda water with lime, and then a little um, glass of iced coffee. And the guy I work with swapped them out, same glasses, with just Coke and Sprite, uh -huh. <laughs> and just sat back waiting for me to, you know, you get a mouthful of Coca-Cola when you're waiting for iced coffee, and it was just like, Aah! it's like somebody dropped a trout in my pants, man. I just started squirming. <laughs> That's a hell of an expression. Did you get that in Norwegian? I, Norwegian. It's a very popular expression in Norwegian. I don't know where the fuck I got that from. I'm going to give you credit, man. Your Norwegian reference and the time we spent on that really just birthed out trout in the pants. The old trout in the pants. Because it would be really uncomfortable. No. You don't want it. You don't want it. You're all welcome for that mental picture. Yeah, yeah. Good God. Well, shit, man. Resentments prayer, sobriety, acting, different bartending jobs. We've covered the gamut here. Yeah. We've done some really good shit. Absolutely. Yeah, not to pat ourselves too much on the back. We, we fucking cleaned up today. We really did. Yeah. We're all right. Uh, let's do this again. All right. Seriously. Yeah, down. yeah, there's tons of other stuff to get into. Yeah, and yeah. I think on a week by week, too, if you ever have something where you're just like, fuck this, I need to air it out. I'm pissed. Some crazy shit happened this week, and I need to get it off my chest publicly. You know where to come. Right on. Yeah, man. That's a deal. Cool. Tons of love, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Tales from the Bar Side. I'm Matt Flynn. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Real Tales from the Bar Side. Be sure to tip your bartenders and tip us by subscribing, liking, leaving us a review. That stuff helps like hell, and we really appreciate it. So thank you again. Hope you enjoyed yourself, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>